guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 87. I am your host, as always, Walter. I'm joined by Zeal. Hey! Grail. Hey! And Griffith. Yo! Excellent. <laughs> We're here, as always. We have a new episode, which is fantastic news. Episode 350. And... Another one is coming out in just one month. Uh, one, the next month will be a pretty big deal for Berserk, as you may remember. Um, not only are we getting a new episode, 351, um, we were getting a new volume. Volume 39 is set to land the same day, June 23rd. And on the same day, we get the Grudenbild novel. <laughs> sure to yeah. be an exciting time. We are uh, all very excited about that. Look forward to the bullet point headline uh, translation of that novel. Can't wait. Well, um, since we were last here, not there's not a lot been happening in the Berserk world that is not predictable. We got a new episode, of course. There have been more Berserk TV episodes. I've recently caught up, uh, and uh, it's not great. It's not great. <laughs> I've been enjoying the animated gifs. It looks really good. Yeah, thanks I mean, to everyone yeah. who's posting those. That's the most I can contribute to that thread is just, I mean, I mean, just look at it is basically what I'm saying. Like, here you go. Just look at it. Um, but there was also something kind of interesting uh, in the Crunchyroll, which is the streaming service that's brought the new Berserk animation overseas to us. They recently posted an interview with um, Michael Gombos, who's the director of international publishing and licensing for Dark Horse. And he basically talked about the success of the series and how it's done and kind of some you know, inside baseball information about the production of it, which was really interesting because I can't recall us getting firsthand information like that. That didn't come from forum posts by Chris Warner and his other translation guy that was, you know, on the forum. And that was like 10 years ago at this point, 11 years ago, even. So anyway, it was cool to get an update, but a few highlights from that interview, there's a thread for it in Berserk Miscellaneous, if you're interested, but yeah, uh, he says that Berserk is uh, the best-selling series in the publisher's entire catalog. Uh, it recently outpaced uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. I think kind of the context for that is it, it might not be that every one volume outsells something like, say, Star Wars. I think the point of what he's saying is Berserk as a single series, over time, since they began publishing in like 2003 or four, the number of the, of issues they've sold across that span is probably huge because it's a long ass series and it's a single series, so that makes some well, sense. I think. I mean, huge depends who you, what you call huge. I mean, given the past troubles they've had and what they said about it, uh, I got the feeling that uh, that status was pretty recent. That uh, with the new anime and all the new stuff, the new game and stuff, I think yep. that's raised the uh, basics profile quite a bit and uh. that helped uh, push some issues, but. When you think about the treatments they've given Berserk uh, over the years, which has been pretty uh, shitty, let's be honest. Uh, like, I don't think it's always been a super huge series. I think that that must be pretty recent. At least that's uh, the feel I got from it. Yeah, that I mean, honestly, a lot of what he said was uh, surprising to me. Um, some of it seemed to come out of left field, given what we'd previously heard. You know, some of these things are great. I mean, I'm not going to like try to like throw shade on it. It's great news that Berserk is selling well. Uh, yeah. They attributed those boosts in sales to the the new uh, animation and the recent game and all the other adaptations. Um, but, you know, four years ago, we learned that they were wary of investing money in reprints for right. volumes that have been long out of print. You know, the aftermarket prices for volumes like 14 and 15 and 16, for example, 
I mean, I remember very vividly, those were plus $100 in the aftermarket. Like you had to pay. Oh my God. Yeah. You had to pay like 10 times the value of the volume to get it because it was out of print and it was rare to find. Now, of course, they've issued reprints since this time. That was four years ago. They issued a number of reprints since then. But at the time, we got an explanation from them of why that was the case. And they were basically saying that effectively, the return on investment was low for them to you know, create more volumes because it seemed like Berserk was not actually that popular and would not always sell out. And that was their concern. But yeah, anyway, I remember, didn't the guy said like uh, they had to at least print uh, like 100 books? Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were like, ah, you know, we had to print a hundred, and that's like a commitment. We're not sure we're gonna sell these. And that's exactly. like, yeah, you, you're not sure you're gonna sell hundred volumes, like in the whole United States <laughs> for the rest of time. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean that that's not, uh, I mean that's not a series that uh, sells very well, you know, right. when you can't sell a hundred volumes, even if it's like mid series stuff. So yeah. So yeah, that's why a lot of his comments, which were 100% praiseworthy of Berserk's sales, sales, were like surprising to me. But at the same time, it's good news. So uh, I guess I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it's just weird. I had the same reaction to hear that it, it, it's it's doing so well, considering it was struggling so much, apparently, a couple of years yeah. ago. Some some context, some background might help on the, who this guy is. I, lo- I looked up, I mean, I did, you know, extensive research by looking at his LinkedIn profile. So, um, Michael Gombos, because I had not heard of him before. You know, I pay attention to the staff of the Dark Horse side and the the, the Huxensha side, and his name was not familiar to me. So, he is, uh, for the past decade, he's been Dark Horse's uh, Director of International Publishing and Licensing. So, he's the guy they go over to Asia to actually hammer out the deal for the publisher and dark horse. However, until last year, it was actually a totally different company just for Berserk. So Berserk was kind of on an island unto itself. It was digital manga publishing. Uh, they handled all the liaison work and they were the actual, the, uh, the licensor of the series or the, the license holder. No, the person who licensed the series from Hawksensha. I always forget the word for that. Anyway, dark horse last year cut DMP out of the deal. And in fact, during the reprints, they cut DMP's logo out of the spines of the series. So if you look at the older versions of Berserk as a DMP logo at the bottom, those are now gone. They don't exist anymore. So are, my, are mine with that logo now worth $100? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, it depends nice? if, if you can find someone that cares that much, probably. <laughs> Original edition. Um, anyway, without DMP, I guess this guy's now in charge. And it, now that he's stepping up to the plate, all he's doing is saying, Berserk sells great. Berserk's a great series. So that's why I, I kind of put his comments in context with his newfound position as the guy to promote Berserk, basically. Anyway. Yeah. Well, he's, little bit he's of a big cheese, there. apparently, but he ain't no Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> that's right. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. That's our man. <laughs> Dwayne not the Rock Johnson. <laughs> yeah. He's running for president now. The guy, the Dark Horse guy is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Supposedly. <laughs> He's putting fun, fun. His, his, his good work I don't work know, the manga, the, the, some of these translations could come back to bite him, though. If, you know. <laughs> they're, not, they're not the so F groovy. Word? They're not so groovy. Yeah. Wait, did did he write this as the translation? I don't know if I can trust this guy with the codes. I'm sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> Moving on. I'm not sure there's much else to talk about other than uh, the main event, which is 350. Um, this one was, wow, a real doozy super dense, uh, particularly after last episode, which was kind of moved along at a brisk pace. Um, I feel like given, you know, it's, it's, it's dumb to compare the two, 
But I do think the pacing was so, so dramatically different from this and the last one. I, I got the feeling that Miura wanted to establish the rules for the dream world and what they were yeah. here to do in the last episode. So that in this one, he dives in head first, bam, 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 with all the memories, knowing what they're doing between, you know, each memory to, you know, make Casca restored. So what's, uh, what's impressive to me about it is that it just, you, like you said, it feels really dense and like packed. Like we're getting a lot of bang for our buck basically, but it doesn't feel like it's rushing either. Or that it's, yeah. you know, sort of over, you know, stuffed. I mean, really, I think the only thing that might be, you know, of sacrificed was, you know, we weren't lingering on the enemies they were fighting, which that's fine. You know, it was just cool to see them, actually, and what they represented in her head. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, like, uh, the enemies, seeing their designs is enough, because... Um, I mean, we don't need to see like the flame wheel and the golems, you know, like killing them again and again in different ways. And actually, yeah. we we get, I mean, we get small panels of that already. Like we see the leader of the death, that kind of stuff. And that's, uh, I feel yeah. like that's enough. You know, like we're not losing anything in not seeing more of it. Yeah, uh, I mean, as far as the pacing, I was is actually concerned, dreading uh, the delay. As far as the pacing is concerned, it is a little strange to me because the episode is very disjointed. Uh, you know, and it's it's because Mira is establishing uh, the passage of time between each of these memories. You know, we see a memory and then we cut to a scene of them encountering a new creature. And then the next page is another hard cut to another memory. So there's obviously lots of time between. He's compressing these all into one episode. And that's the only thing I felt was, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't call that quote unquote rushed, but there is a sense of kind of like advanced time between each of these little yeah. scenes. Yeah, I actually uh, saw that was pretty effective because yeah. you do feel... You do feel like it's taking them like forever, you know, and it's actually what uh, Farnese comments on. He's like, she doesn't know if it's been a, a you know a month or a year, or but it, it feels like long, and you can uh, see they're uh, dissolved by um, the time, you know. She comments on that, so they're really worn down by the the journey. And uh, I don't know, I thought that was uh, pretty effective. No, it, absolutely, and, and in fact, that's I mean, I think I've said it before. It's one of my favorite like narrative techniques is for uh, a, a mental journey that is long and huge and lasts years, but in reality only moments pass, so that when the person emerges, they're changed because of all that, all that, the experience they had had. And, you know, Star Trek uh, Next Generation, the episode, The Inner Light does that, and it's one of my favorite episodes of the The classic. Show. Excellent stuff. Yeah. And um, in any case, we do actually, like, despite all that, all that we said about uh, going fast, we do actually get to see... Like, we get a page for each memory, mostly. And, um, you know, I feel like that's, again, that's, uh, that's that does a pretty good job. And, I mean, from the ball for uh, the, the part where they're in the cave, you know, 100 men uh, battles, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, uh, I thought it was actually uh, very well balanced, you know, like a good recap. You see the character getting the feelings, like uh, like Griffith said in the thread, it, it builds on the fact that the reader already knows the scene. So uh, it's a uh, you know like a, it reminds us of it, but at the same time it uh, counts on the fact that we know what it's about, so we don't need to see like everything again. Yeah, I mean it's it's like maximum efficiency, really. Like I mean I don't feel like there's any rush, or it's just like no time wasted. You know, if 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 you, we were taking you know half or a quarter of an episode for every memory, that that just wouldn't be necessary because it's like we're familiar with these scenes, and like as said. Uh, there's like a page for each, but there's also like half a dozen panels for every yeah. one of them. And, you know, Mira yeah. fit a lot in those panels. 
Yeah. And yeah, and I think what the point is is that uh, Mira is getting to the part that matters. You know, like uh, we saw these uh, as important because they establish uh, the relationships and mostly uh, the one with guts. You know, it's like almost even a recap of how she fell in love with guts. You know, we see you know like the hundred men battles and he's back. You know, after the duel in the snows and you know the, all these things and the love scene and everything like at the when she fell from the waterfall. And so, yeah, that's kind of, you know, like, we get a, a nice view, a nice overview of it, and uh, all these, uh, I would say, more random memories of uh, the Band of the Falcon and the kind of things, the fountain scene, everything. And now we're getting, like, we're already in the thick of it right now, but now they're getting to, like, the big deals, the stuff that, that really matters, the, the reason she's broken. And, I mean, that's why we're here. And um, I get the feeling that uh, things are going to obviously slow down there. And, uh, you know, it's going to take a few episodes to get through because that's that's a part that needs uh, resolving. Yeah, you could really uh, you could compare this episode to the uh, the training montage in Rocky Four because you do get the sense of the, pa- <laughs> the passage of time because you know how Rocky grows the beard and he's getting he's getting tough and he's back to the basics but then you know he's got to fight the Russian guy so we still got our Russian guy to fight at the 351 <laughs> yeah he, he's represented here by the monsters yeah <laughs> they must crush Farnese it's my favorite montage scene of all movies is that it's sequence. the best I love it. it's the best <laughs> it is pretty good yeah uh, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, Azil, about basically, you know, the kind of the function that all of these scenes serve in the, from the Golden Age. You know, and for one, it's it's like a full-on Golden Age highlights reel, uh, but it's presented very simply, but is doing a lot of things, really. I mean, Shirke and Farnese finally get to learn about Gut's past and, of course, Casca's past. Yes. But also, the story of Casca's past, truly, in this context, is really the story of Gut's and Casca as a couple and how they developed what they mean to each other. Uh, yep. But on top of all that, for me, like the treat for this whole process is that we get to learn her thoughts and not just the implied emotions from the panels of those old volumes that we all know, but it's an additional layer over the whole golden age of these sequences. It's like a present that Mira gave us. Uh, the most striking for me was the, the sequence in the cave and the hundred man fight, which we, we knew was kind of the turning point for the relationship for them. But also because those feelings are being telegraphed for us through Farnese, we actually get to actually, you know, know what she was feeling during those times. And it's so fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's a confirmation of what we always knew, but like, it feels good. You know, it feels like uh, when I go back 15 years uh, in the past and tell whatever idiot I was arguing with that, you know, I was right all along. <laughs> then again, that goes for pretty much every every discussion I've ever had on the forum. So. Oh my God. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I get what you, what you, what you mean. It's, uh, it's pretty good. And I think, Building on that, it also informs uh, Farnese and uh, Shiruke's future relationship with Casca, in which, you know, they'll, they'll be the ones that know the most about that period of time, but they know it from Casca's perspective. And uh, I think that will allow them to relate to her experiences and, you know, to help her get uh, acquainted to the new world and new life and everything, and even take her side, you know, against Guts or whatever. So I feel like it's it's really... From a character that was just, they were babysitting, especially Farnese, it becomes like a friend, you know, like they're already halfway through that process. So uh, very interesting. And of course, there's a love story aspect, which, I mean, this episode serves also in large part in uh, helping Farnese, uh, like, get over her crush on Guts, you know, like she's not completely over it, but you can tell it's a, it's a step in the right direction. 
that that particular angle of the story was told basically in the margins of this episode. But I feel like that's to me like the highlight of this whole thing. Like, yes, seeing all. Sorry, Griel, you're saying. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna uh, pop in with regards to what Az said. I feel like there's also another side to that. The fact that a few people have brought this up before, so I'm kind of repeating it. But the fact that they're going into kind of Casca's mind without her permission and, and looking through all these memories. I wonder if you guys think there might be a conflict with regards to that when she wakes up. Um, I don't. I don't think it'll be a major one. I do. I can, can. I can foresee, particularly just knowing a little bit how Casca reacts to those kind of not that kind of thing. I can. I can know her personality well enough to know that she might be somewhat put off. But the knowledge that they were inside her brain, looking at all these you know close memories. But I don't think it'll become like a major barrier. I can yeah, see like a little I think, panel. I think two. it would be more like embarrassment at that than it would be like, yeah. oh, now they've got they've got beef. You know, Casca doesn't forgive them. You know, for that. <laughs> you know, I. I think that's like, you know, this is going to be complicated enough when mm-hmm. she wakes up. Now we're thinking of just so many things to overcomplicate all the relationships. I don't. So I don't think it's going to I think it might just be like a little, you know, aside, like she's embarrassed, you know, when she's sort of, you know, meeting them properly mm-hmm. that they know so much about her. But I don't think it's actually going to be like, a, you know, you violated, you know, the sanctity <laughs> of my mind. <laughs> Yeah, I agree, especially uh, since it was, you know, like in the process of helping her regain herself. So I think it might be mentioned, like they might have a talk about that. And, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know, just they might have a talk about it and feelings might be, you know, uh, exchanged. But I don't think it's going to be yeah, a lasting grudge or anything of the, of the kind. And to, to go back to what Walter was saying earlier, I don't really think... Uh, Farnese's feelings, and I don't think it was in the margin, really. I, I think it was told in the margins. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm saying the way it was portrayed. Most of the development that Farnese has for Casca and her feelings here is told without text or with a line or two. You know, the, it's not the focus of the episode, but it is for the readers that know, you know, her background and everything. And it kind of it kind of riffs off like the main memory, you know like event yeah i I think you know if you could look at it uh in the other way which is like all these scenes we see are what support her evolving feelings you know what she's like oh yeah so so it's what i expected huh so whatever oh i I get this feeling so you know i feel like you know that's why i meant by not in the margin i don't think it's uh something on the side uh you know i think it's more like we see these scenes and then we treat it to farnes's reaction to them and i i feel like they are they're pretty telling, you know, overall, and uh, so that's why I think they're, they're more central than you uh, than you so said. But you that's just you don't my... want to see her marginalized, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I think this is a, I think this is a, this is a semantic <laughs> argument. I'm not. I'm yeah. saying it is focused by. I'm telling. I'm talking about the way that it's portrayed. Like it's mm-hmm. not. We don't get a full page. Farnese going, oh, as it's taking away from the action. Yeah, okay. The action yeah. is the focus in her reactions, which are small panels. Okay, okay, which I get the it. Focus of the scenes are the development. All right. Anyway, yeah, it's a huge step forward for her, and she's you know finally seemingly you know accepting that Casca is the right woman for guts because she's seeing all that they've been through, and really she's sensing how both of them feel for each other. Yeah, um, it's a culminating moment for her. You know, think about her character arc. You know, to unselfishly, you know, swallow her feelings for the sake of another is very well, new Farnese, not old Farnese. Well, yeah, and it's interesting just because, I mean, she did already, she already has a relationship with both of them and feelings for both of them. And now she's really kind of getting to know Casca 
and their relationship. And, you know, you can, I think you can kind of see her transitioning into sort of rooting for them, you know, Mm -hmm. and for this to happen, you know, even though she also has, you know, her own conflicted feelings still that she's, you know, maybe getting over and working through. But it's, it's interesting to see her evolve just in this one episode, really, you know, in the last one. The last page, you know, um, the last look we have of Farnese. With her eyes. Yep. I love that panel so much. It's yeah. like she. It, it's like it pains her a little bit, but she's also accepting of it. I mean, I'm reading a lot into this. You know, this is my reading of that panel. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think she's actually uh, how to say. She's I think feeling. Yeah, I think it's like you know when you find something cute, like that's the kind of face uh, she'd make uh, petting her cat. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. kind of love. Uh, to to me, I feel like it's a, uh, I don't know, tenderness. You know, that kind it is, of. It, like, it is, but I, I think there's more to it than, than simply that. I think that looks mm-hmm. a little more complex little, to me. A little hint of bittersweetness, maybe. Yeah, yeah I, 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 mean, I could yeah, be reading maybe. into it. Just knowing knowing how loaded the topic is for her, I can't imagine it's simply. Yeah, go ahead and take the man that I have these feelings for. You know. Yeah, what yeah. I mean, the, uh, what about the look on Guts Dog's face in that last panel? <laughs> like, Let's do it. He looks like the dog Terminator. He's just frightening. <laughs> that dog is awesome. I'm like, I like him more and more each episode. He's got the glowing. It's like skull dog eyes right there. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, he's kind of not, uh, you know. He's not a normal dog. dog. What? Not- yeah, I mean, <laughs> this thing is kind of spirit dog or something. <laughs> There's another page I wanted to focus on about Farnese's reaction. Um, as she kind of vocalizes them, uh, it's a two-page spread where we see the mysterious spiders on the page. Uh, she's talking about how her feelings, uh, she's sensing Casca's feelings. And then she pauses or she, you know, breaks away and then we see this ellipsis from Shirke as she's kind of recognizing that oh right Farnese had these feelings and she just kind of changes the subject and they move on what did you guys think of that little exchange there uh you know I don't think uh she was uh I don't think Shirke's reaction is so much something about uh, Farnese as it is about herself you know it's like oh really huh yeah so the way so Farnese her thoughts are mm, an exuberant feeling, love, melancholy. And then she say, uh, like, uh, she speaks, she says this overwhelming feeling from all her heart, Casca's mind, it's her own. And, you know, then we see uh, Shuke, and I think, I don't know, I, I didn't feel, maybe yeah, maybe because she sees her uh, grabbing the fragment with her two hands, you know. Yeah. So maybe that's why, but I don't know, I felt like there's more to it than just her reflecting on Farnese's feelings, you know, because she used to also have a crush on Guts, and that's that's something that's still, you know, yeah. probably kind of li- lingering. So I can see both possible possible readings are there. I don't have a solid reading on either one. But uh, yeah, it's um, I don't know. I, I don't feel she would be. I don't know. That, that that expression feels to me like it's personal. You know, something that uh, hits her uh, close to you know. To home, so it's an inner, it's an inner reflective thing. It's not an accusatory look. It's a she's reflecting to herself. I think. Yeah, yeah. and the fact the fact we we are not shown her eyes, I think, uh, says a lot about this. And then, yeah, she changes the subject because she knows it's uh, a loaded uh, topic for both of them. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't have an easy transition here. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at my notes. What do you want uh, to talk about? Mm. We ah, do so have uh, there is uh, one uh, I've noticed possible pre guts memory. It's when you see all the fragments flowing down. 
it's not a big yeah. deal, but it just it looks like it's they're all drinking, you know, beers together. And possibly oh, really? the one next to that one. Yeah, because it's like you can – the giveaway is how young uh, Pippin and Judo look. Like oh. Judo looks like a little girl <laughs> and, and Pippin's got his super old school haircut, you know. So that one might be, you know, before Guts joined the band. So it just shows like some basic camaraderie. The one was a riding as well. I mean yes. that could be yeah, – old two, armor. Yeah. Those two are the ones where uh, it looks yeah. like uh, they happened before. So it's just interesting that we did get one of those. It just didn't really explore – you know, anything yeah. in depth. Yeah, we also, we also see the, the time where Griffith saved her, you know, the very first uh, encounter they had, which is, right. like, obviously very important to her. Yeah, what I was going to say. one we hadn't necessarily seen before, but it, you know, it wasn't anything of consequence. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say was, you know, kind of what's quote-unquote, you know, missing here or absent from kind of what my expectations were, which were, you know, memories of her days leading the Falcons alone, uh, or rather without Griffith when he was imprisoned. Right. But perhaps that's to come. And also memories that we weren't familiar with or haven't seen yet, but you already pointed out one that I, I didn't catch at first, which clearly, I mean, to me, is clearly of pre-Guts days with G- Griffith and his old armor there. Yeah. And different sword as well, looks like to me. Anyway, yeah, that was cool. I, I kind of wish we got a little bit more of that, but I, I totally get how Miura... He has to accomplish a lot in a, what, in a short amount of time. He's, he probably wouldn't want to surface or focus on scenes that the reader wasn't already familiar with because he'd well, have to give a lot of – like, you know, this wasn't important enough in the first yes. place. <laughs> I mean, that's – in short, of course, that's the, that's the explanation was it clearly wasn't important enough to matter. So, Yep. It's uh, – you know, it's just a way that we – everything about our past was already told during the Golden Age arc. It's pretty much the same for like every character. We, we are – Never gonna get like another flashback for Griffiths, you know, like for as he was a kid and everything. Well, he saw all of that, at least what mattered of it. So we're never gonna get any of that, you know. That's that's kind of a given. Actually, we we were pretty lucky to get three more episodes about uh, Gus past, you know, yeah. mm, while yeah. they were on, on the ship. That yeah. was uh, that was unexpected and pretty cool. But you know, that's because Gus is the main character, so. Yeah, for Casca, this would have been uh, an opportunity, and maybe we did get it. We we got two panels, and that's you know <laughs> as much as we can get. Yeah, and also it's just great to see. I mean, kind of goes without saying, right? These iconic scenes, you know, realized in Mirror's new art style, um, you know, particularly Zod, uh, the assassination, the Primrose Hall, all these things. Yeah, I, I liked well, you know that view of uh, you know the scene with that like from her angle, you know, mm-hmm. from behind him and everything. That, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I, you know, it's just the small things, but I liked it. You know, same with the I mean, the fountain is not very like there's no uh, evident uh, difference, but uh, yeah, Zod was was pretty neat. I thought. It's also interesting how you know how similar they look to the old style when he draws them that way. Like he's almost following a. Uh, it's like, as if it's their character design rather than, you know, like, you know, drawing Griffith like he looks now, but a little younger or anything <laughs> like that. It's it's kind of cool, like a melding of, you know, new and old. Yeah. So, um, you know, what about the love scene? Uh, is that something we were expecting and we were wondering, like, how embarrassing it would be? And I, <laughs> I felt like that was treated. I felt, was uh, you know, Mura did it. Uh, he's pretty ballsy, you know, like he, he did a double page of Casca's yeah. view of guts on top of her, which is during sex, which is like, like seriously, what other author will do that? This is you know, like Berserk is a, it's something for a young adults, let's say, as a target audience, but it's mostly guys, you know, and it, 
what other story, what other, you know, uh, piece of art w- would do that? So I think that's, that's pretty fucking ballsy of him. And at the same time, uh, very tastefully done, I thought. And obviously, uh, Farnese and Shuke had, uh, you know, some levity with uh, the humor and, you know, uh, Farnese hiding Shuke's eye. Somebody Shuke. called it with that one. <laughs> yeah, Shuke's yeah. objection. So, um, <laughs> it was a really funny part. Uh, but in terms of, in terms of the way it was per- portrayed, I mean, it kind of, he kind of had to do that because it showed literally from her first person perspective. Um, yeah, I think it was big because it was maybe a big moment or a shocking moment for the, the, the readers, well, the readers, the Farnese and Shirke. This is why it's kind of blown out like that. Yeah, it's both important and it's also, I just love that, like, you know, he's, he basically, tur- he, you know, swings into it, like, okay, I'm going to be as in your face with this as possible. <laughs> but, it, yeah. but like you said, it's still, it's still very tasteful. You're not like seeing anything, you know, like, you know, I don't know, titillating. It's just funny because it's like, oh, whoa, yeah, that's right in your face there, you know, there they are. Yeah. I saw that was, uh, I don't know, very boss daring and tasteful. So I appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And of course, it gets far as it reflect. And at the same time, she says, uh, I already knew that, you know, like, which is, <laughs> ag- again, something about her character development I appreciate is, uh, something I've said before, but she, it's not like she didn't know, uh, Gus was in love with Casca. She knew, she always knew. She just, you know, she wasn't facing it. And now, well, she's, you know, she's facing it because it's facing her. Yeah. So, uh, I thought it was pretty, pretty cool. Uh, one thing that is, uh, you know, trying to understand exactly how much Farnese and Shirke are taking away from these memories, it's kind of hard to quantify exactly how much is being conveyed to them. We get little glimpses of their reactions, like they say, like, oh, they're fighting uh, with Gutson and Griffith at the duel, or, you know, their confused reaction, you know, at first when they see Guts and Casca fighting, or Casca fighting Guts, rather. And so it's unclear a little bit to me how comprehensive their understanding of these moments will be but they're clearly getting the gist i think but i, I yeah. wonder how much they'll truly understand at the end i guess it doesn't really matter but uh, i was just wondering how, how much is actually being conveyed uh between the lines here I, I think they don't get that much actually like they get these little snippets and then they get the feeling which is transferred to them so uh, i think they're really just getting a gist like for example when she fights young guts uh, they're, they're clearly confused by what's going on, you know. All they feel is that she, she's got this strong fighting spirit, and you know they get to see her, you know, perspective of what happened. Uh, but yeah, I don't think, like, I don't think they're gonna have a full view of her whole life or anything like that. Same with Adan. I like that the feeling transferred is that uh, she's annoyed. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. <pretty>. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I like how, like how Adan snuck into her memories there. Yeah, they, they get, uh, and, and then of course, a feeling of pride, of accomplishment, having done her job. So, you know, I think it's, uh, it serves as, uh, telling them what she was like, her personality. You know, she was a fighter, a soldier. Uh, she had a strong sense of duty and, uh, she idolized Griffiths and, and she loved guts, you know, and that's pretty much like, you know, the, the things that mattered. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, um, when we see, Griffith uh, throwing the sword down so he can, she can protect herself. Farnese comments something that uh, the similar feeling that Casca felt when she witnessed Griffith was how Farnese felt when she, uh, how she felt about Guts. Yeah, actually she says it's uh, similar to how she feels about Guts, like mm-hmm. even now, you know, it's uh, so which is again interesting and again is something, I mean, it's, 
to the faithful uh, listener of the podcast, it's not new because it's something I've um, I've been saying for for many years. But uh, basically, uh, Farnese she she kind of has the same relationship to Guts and Cascade to Griffiths in that her worldview was changed, and he appeared as a, as some kind of savior, something she's commented on uh, many times, and so she has these feelings of adoration or whatever you want to call it for him uh, because he had that role because he was a guy that stood against the world well no one else could and even Serpico comments on it uh, to Gats in the previous episodes Gats did things effortlessly that Serpico could never think to do himself so and again it's uh, to me it's part of Farnese's evolution because it implies that much like Casca moved on from uh, you know her feelings uh, about Griffiths, she rationalized it and maybe went a bit back down to earth about him. Uh, Farnesim will eventually uh, you know just move on and see guts as someone she respects, but not like adore like uh, some kind of you know god or whatever. But speaking of Farnese and Griffith, uh, one thing I was expecting was a, a small panel of recognition for her having seen Griffith at uh, Albion and her recognizing that Guts knew that figure by whatever he says his name, Griffith, in Albion as well. Uh, we don't get anything like that here. And it's, its absence just kind of points to me that Miura recognized that this wasn't the right time because it probably would have been a very complex uh, revelation for her to put all those two together while we're also accomplishing all these other things that are already happening in this very dense episode. I feel like that's coming I just kind of thought we'd get one panel of recognition here. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that it's not as if they say, oh, who is this guy? They don't say so. Uh, yeah. Because they know they know who he is. Because, yeah, they've seen him. Both of them actually have the opportunity to see Griffiths from a close. Shiruke with the bird and um, in volume 22 and Farnese in volume 21 and, uh, and, and all that. And uh, Gus also told them, not so long ago uh, with the great gurus uh, about Griffiths and what he knew. So I think that part is kind of already established. And uh, like you said, uh, you know, maybe I, I feel like going into that right now would have detracted from it, uh, especially considering uh, they're going to get big time into Griffiths and what he means and everything in the next few episodes. So I feel like Mira just didn't bother with it. And she like... We, we're just uh, taking it for granted that they recognize uh, who this is and uh, what part he played in uh, both of their lives, I think. Yeah, that's what I took away from it, too, was just that, you know, it wasn't necessary. It was already sort of established information and therefore not necessary to dive into it this time. But when they go deeper into it, then she'll probably be, you know, having her own memories of, you know, seeing him and, you know, what it means. And um, what's interesting as well is that because they know Guts and Casca, their focus so far has been Guts. Uh, like, they've been, you know, interested, both of them very much, in uh, how Guts was like when he was young, whereas they are not as as involved into Griffiths. And at the same time, also something very big here is that most of Casca's memories so far have been about Guts. You know, like her strong memories, the one we've lingered on, the ones that have mattered, most of them have been about Guts. So, even though, like, Griffiths, like, for example, that part with the Noble was important, but Guts is the one that really mattered to her. And at the end of the episode, when the sprite says there's somebody she wants to meet, uh, both of them, you know, are like, oh, yeah, it's it's definitely Guts, you know. So it's clearly anyone but Guts is, is the conclusion that we can draw. <laughs> yeah, from the fact everything points to Guts, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, I mean, 
uh, I, I find that's interesting because, again, that's something like there might have been some um, arguments over the years about that, you know, and uh, it's pretty clear here that uh, gas matter really big time to Casca. Of course, uh, these feelings are bound to evolve as the rest of the memories uh, get, you know, uh, gathered. But so far, the sprite uh, wants to, to meet him again. Yeah, and I mean, you know, yeah, like you were saying, almost every single one of these memories is somehow related to Guts, except for uh, the one with the the noble that Griffith saves him from. I mean, otherwise, every single one of these memories is connected to him. Yeah, I mean, we, there's, a, there's a ball where Griffith falls down, but even then, you see Casca look at uh, Guts' shadow through the, the window. Right. So it's, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's... It's interesting. It's interesting and not surprising at the same time to me. And also, what I really like is that it shows us how similar Guts and Casca are, you know, or at least were back then. In that, you know, if you if you were to see something about Guts' past, it would be pretty similar to that. You know, like a helmet on a sword. That's imagery that's been used for Guts before, you know. And we get the same thing for Casca because they're both warriors and their memories are really. Pretty close, you know, uh, their, their fighting spirit, uh, their place within the band of the Falcon, their relationship to Griffiths and the others uh, to a lesser extent, and very obviously their love for each other. Like, that's the things that matter in, uh, you know, ascending order, you know, with the love part being the, the most uh, significant one. So uh, I, I just find it interesting to see how much they relate to each other, you know. Yet another layer of confirmation about that, given their background, sure. Now that Mir has readdressed it. Um, one other thing about this episode that was interesting was, you know, we've seen, we've seen how this sprite basically has developed or with the accumulation of all these fragments. And it actually, you know, speaks, you know, we talked about it in this episode, but it made me wonder about once the entire being is recollect, recollected, uh, recollected, what the, how that's going to transition, I guess. This sprite seems so cute and full of positivity and optimism. And because of all the, seemingly negative memories have been, you know, or the most tragic memories have been kind of reserved for the very end here. And I wonder how that transition is going to occur with the, with the sprite itself. I think when the doll is completed and uh, the sprite is, uh, will like uh, inhabit it, you know, like, mm. I don't know, it's, to me, it's, uh, it's kind of like the soul of the doll, you know, so the doll will, like, the sprite will become the doll, they'll become one, it will become like, Casca will be restored pretty much. So I think at that time, uh, it will, uh, yeah, change like that. But obviously, uh, what you meant was more like it's a state of mind. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I'm not sure we're even going to get to see that. I'm not sure. That's actually a, a good question. You know, one of the questions I've had, uh, I wonder about is whether when they actually grab the last piece and put it back, uh, whether there'll be um, a problem, a uh, fracture, whatever. She was broken because of the eclipse, because of the rape. And uh, when they put that fragment back, will it threaten to break up the doll again? You know, that's my, my question. And right. will at that time, they have to be like, oh, come on now, please, you know, like to convince it or whatever. I, I think that's a, that's a possibility. Well, and also like when they, if they reassemble the doll and say they do successfully complete it so that it doesn't break again, could, uh, you know, what's going to happen to the dreamscape that they're in now? And, you know, will that world become unstable, start to, you know, collapse around them? Yeah, I think uh, it would disappear, obviously. Yeah. Or be, I don't know, revamped, uh, just, you know, change, maybe, I don't know, grass with sprout or some bullshit like that. I think, uh, <laughs> I, I think yeah, that kind of nightmarish uh, dreamscape will just disappear. 
I wonder actually not, I haven't thought about this very much, but he's talking about reassembling her and that what the last moments will be of the scene. I wonder once they reassemble her completely, maybe this, you know, fragmented doll will actually come to life and they'll actually have to converse with it and actually yeah. convince her to come back. Like the actual pieces throwing them all together and hoping it works might not be enough. She actually might need some kind of convincing to actually rejoin the world like that. Some kind of w- w- willingness to come back intervention. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's kind of what I meant actually, uh, with, uh, like those things threatening to break again. Uh, I'm thinking they would have to like argue, like convince it, you know, convince, right. uh, Casca's, uh, ego to like to hold together or something. And maybe as a time, Danan will, uh, will intervene. Uh, it's, I mean, maybe. Well, it would be interesting too, because then it's sort of, you know, you have the argument of when the, you know, when we get Casca back in a sense, like, you know, would you, would it, would her reintroduction basically be in the dreamscape when the doll comes together and say it just turns into her and mm-hmm. she, you know, they begin speaking to her and she speaks back or is there still like, you know, that extra step of her coming back into the real physical world, you know? I think it would still not be fully what do you, her. What do you what do you want to save that? I guess is what I'm asking. You know, for her to actually be talking and conversing and recognizing them. And... Uh, yeah, I, I I think it would be it would not be like her true self, like a true conscious self, able to say, "Oh, I know you" or whatever. I think it would still be a kind of, uh, you know, like proto proto almost type. Uh, someone with amnesia, maybe. Yeah, yeah, like it's uh, her psyche or her ego, but not her herself. You know, I don't know if that yeah. makes sense, but and I think then when she wake up, uh, it's gonna be her. You know, like that part of her is to me it's kind of like the system. You know, like yeah. uh, the, the the stuff at the center that make all the parts work, but uh, it's not like the full her. That's uh, not very clear, I'm afraid. No, I get it. The mechanism that powers her, basically. Yeah. Um, I do think. I mean, like. This is kind of obvious, right? The past three episodes, conflict for this group has been almost an afterthought. Like, yes, they've had these readily available defenses to fight against these things. And, you know, Shurke even says it herself that she expects they'll encounter much more powerful things. Like It feels like they already used everything. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who, who's to say they can't use them again? Because Gollum, right. the quantity seems unlimited, basically. But the question to me is like even those things will probably be nothing, you know? And I, I wonder how the actual conflict will be, will, will not present itself. Cause I can kind of already see that, but how, what they'll actually do if they encounter something that they can't actually easily get, get across, like how they will actually get through if they come across a wall or something they can't do anything about, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a good question. And it's a, it's like the big question because uh, I think so far uh, pretty much they've just like they've learned the, the rule of this world and they've been like on the periphery, you know? So there have been some, uh, you know, like Casca has been fighting back. Her mind has been fighting back in uh, several ways, but uh, yeah, it's been kind of weak so, so far. And I feel like as she says herself, like as they get to the actual center of it, uh, it's gonna get actually difficult, and which is why I think, uh, uh, like again, we went through this uh, scene pretty uh, quickly and densely in this episode because uh, we're getting to what matters next episode, which is actually like uh, it's the episode of volume thirty-nine will end on, and I think it's gonna be a huge cliffhanger because I think at the end of that episode we'll get to see some big thing, you know, like the big things I have to fight against. And yeah, and it actually makes me wonder how much further we are from the actual restoration. You know, I, I, I think I came up with like three episodes or so, but fuck, I've been 
those numbers seem so, you know, uh, useless at this point. It's funny the because rug- it, it seems like we've been going at a faster pace than what we initially thought. And yet it does seem like it, it's not going to take us as far as we thought originally. Mm-hmm. Well, you still have to assume that there is going to be some sort of major conflict. And I don't necessarily mean a fight, just a, a hurdle for them to overcome. You know, right now they've just sort of been, you know, we've been going through it's the memories. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's been more like, you know, almost watching a movie, you know, something like that. Like They're seeing all these memories, and now they're, they haven't gotten to the point yet where it's like, okay, we need to make, this is make or break time. Right. Yep. So. Yeah, I think uh, I agree, and I think... I think we're actually gonna get pretty much what we expected to begin with in terms of length, and that's pretty. That's simply because uh, we're getting to the part where things are going to slow down because uh, the stakes will be raised. Yeah. So we got fast because that was the introduction. Uh, we were like seeing what the world is like, seeing you know them gather the memories, that kind of stuff. Now we're getting again. You know, Mira is not wasting time showing us. As a scenery, which like there's no real scenery here, uh, he he's getting to a point that matters, and then it's gonna take a, a while to get through. I, I think. Yeah, I guess the real question is, you know, if there will be a break between next episode and the next episode after that, uh, which there very well could be. Uh, we've had five. We, we will have had five in a row, I think, five or six. Let's hope not. Yeah, yes. let's hope not. I guess so, definitely, yes, is what we're saying. <laughs> no break till the end of the year. I'm yeah. crossing my fingers, you know, here. I don't have a lot more to add, but I did want to uh, comment real quickly on, you know, what our thoughts about the eye and the mount- mountain are, the spire that they're coming closer to. You know, there's still no clear, but I was wondering, you know... It's going to the, be the hand, <laughs> or... Or it could be, or it's either that or a mountain of apostles maybe holding her, since that's very symbolic of the the eclipse as well. Yeah, and it's imagery that's been recurring for her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not only has it been recurring, it's like Mira's been teasing it the whole time, like, obscuring its form. Like, I just don't know what it could be that would be so obscured until now. That's what I guess what I'm getting at, is uh, like, what could it possibly be that's so mysterious that he couldn't show us from the outset? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. If it, well, it so... It can't just be a mountain, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, the thing is, um, you know, because it's a dream, the shape uh, might shift. So it already looks a lot more specific now than it did uh, when they first came into that world, presumably because it got closer. And I think as it gets even closer, it's going to shift. So yeah, there's many possibilities. It could be the hand. It could be a kind of giant pile of apostles holding her up. Um, I still have that uh, thought that I mentioned in the thread about uh, the fact the eye could be like a gut's eye, you know, like yeah. his last look uh, at her. Um, we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be pretty excruciating. You know, I mean, uh, generally speaking, I feel like for all of us, uh, the eclipse and specifically the, the rape is a, is a tough time, is a tough part of the series to read through, which is uh, how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be tough to read. And, uh, like, revisiting that, um, even though I'm sure it will be done very tastefully and, you know, it will be done very thoughtfully and everything. But, yeah, I think it's going to be it's gonna be tough to, to read through. And uh, it's going to be tough for the characters, tough for the reader. And, um, and hopefully it's going to be, like, for both the reader and the characters, a, a way to get over that, you know, to get past it at last. Yeah, Farnese better have her uh, eye-covering hands ready. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. 
Yeah. It'll be actually really interesting because we don't actually know how much Shirke knows about apostles and apostle ceremonies, things like the eclipse. I, I don't know how extensive her knowledge is of those kinds of things. It would be, it would be, I feel like it's something that she, she would be at least casually familiar with, like that she'd have heard of. You know? It would be weird if she didn't know anything about it. I guess, I mean, how yeah. shocked will she be, you know? Or <laughs> she this. might even have an insight into it. Like, she might see something even more uh, significant than we do, mm. knowing so much about it firsthand, just being able to recognize, like, oh, this is a, you know, I can tell this is some sort of powerful ceremony. You know, like, she could see it sort of from the ground up, from a different angle, where it's like... Right. Yeah. I think, uh, I think she, like, she knows about that, uh, like from a hot say, like she read it from a book, you know, uh, but I don't think it's pretty much like the good hand, you know, she knows they exist yeah. and, you know, it's, it's like the great gurus of Flora. They know about these guys in theory, but, you know, the value of Gus is that he's actually been up close to them and he's tried to whack them with his sword, you know, <laughs> and been blown back into a pillar. So he, he went down to the realm. And they took down to him and, you know, and uh, blew him around, you know. So that's the kind of value they have. And I get the feeling that even though Shuriken might know in theory that apostles will sacrifice someone dear to them to get their power, uh, and, you know, when she gets to see, like, all these monsters up close and from Casca's uh, perspective, she's going to feel horrified and, and yeah. you know, she's going to feel the dread. And I, I know to me that's what it should be like. It's like... Yeah. You know, you can know about it from reading from a book, but when you're there experiencing, you're like, what the, you know, like nobody can just stay cold and detached and be like, hmm, interesting. But she might also yeah. be able to diagnose it in a very sort of, you know, sterile, like she wouldn't say it in a sterile way, but just be able to straightforwardly say, oh, wow, this is an incredible sort of giving into the most base and evil like powers you can. You know, giving yeah. yourself over to that, you know, and just recognize it from that. Like, this is the most forbidden, you know, kind of practice. Yeah, I think uh, once past the uh, first shock of it, she might, like, her knowledge of the magical world might obviously allow her to, I don't know, derive some, um, you know, some wisdom from it and maybe help uh, with the resolution from Casca's perspective, you know. Yeah. Because that's, uh, again, that's... Um, the big stake here is uh, helping Casca get over it. So, yeah. Her insight might actually be the missing piece we've been looking for about linking apostle ceremonies and apostle-based powers to magic, like an offshoot, like an early offshoot of that kind of ritualistic sacrifice. Yeah. It might be something. She might be able to provide some insight that links those two, which would be amazing. Mm. Well, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen in the dream, but uh, maybe later on, yeah? Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. I, you know, like that uh, weaker man thing. That's what you're referring to, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that might, uh, I still feel uh, she would have, because that's not, like, this is not an apostle ceremony. This is, a, you know, when a femto, like, was born, so it's a bit different. But, yeah, I, I feel like uh, that might be a good, you know, not maybe starting point, but a good base from which to have the discussion. Eventually with the gurus, which is like, Oh, that kind of human-based magic came to be. I actually right. look uh, very much forward to hearing that. Maybe um, the Skull Knight will have to be part of that. You know, uh, talking back about how at that time that kind of stuff, you know, came to be. Should I actually? No, I, mean, a- I don't expect to get like a history lesson. I just meant like the first inklings of a connection between those two. That's all. I have an idea now, which I have to say, okay. uh, without any further thought about it, is maybe when the 
astral world uh, became separated from the corporate world long ago. Maybe that's when some rogue uh, magic users started looking into uh, human sacrifice and human, you know, powered magic as a replacement for that. You know, just a random thought, but yeah. just occurred right now. That's a good point. That, that, that being said, I mean, do you, do you want to go into? Or are you saying we should no, not no. talk about it? No, it's no, no. It's just it just okay. came it just came up, so I had to say it. But yeah, All let's right. not talk I about that. I will so. not rebuff it. <laughs> You've been talking about it so nonchalantly because it's like obvious, but like it seems like more clear than ever as we get closer to it, and particularly when the spire is obscuring it, that the the eclipse sun and the the clouds around it are clearly an eye, like yeah. the way it's shaped. It seems more obvious than it ever has been that it's supposed to represent an eye. The question is, what, whose eye and to what end, I guess is what I'm saying. And I really look forward to that reveal. Well, I mean, I'm still like, I'm 100% convinced that my original guess uh, is still uh, correct, which is it's a gut's eye and it's the last sight, uh, you know, from when she was being raped and he was staring at her and his eye was pierced by that apostle's claw. And... You know, like, uh, I've always had that thought about her last words, you know, uh, when she told him not to look, don't look, you know. And I feel like this is going to be significant. And I feel like uh, a big part of her trauma might be that not only was she raped, not only was she raped by uh, Griffiths, or at least who used to be Griffiths, but she was, you know, raped by who used to be Griffiths in front of her boyfriend. And as it was being done, he was himself trying desperately like he was you know out of his mind and clearly uh, being you know enraged and everything and, and being, being you know too. yeah being mutilated like you know she lost consciousness as Gus was in pretty bad shape you know for all she knew maybe he was you know uh, killed after that so uh, I mean obviously it was a very traumatic situation I feel like the fact he was looking at her being humiliated like that you know it's like the one you want to respect you, the one person you want to love you and to have, you know, that person sees you humiliated in the worst way, powerless, being a victim, like everything. And, you know, and by the guy who, you know, uh, he has so much history with, you know, I mean, that's crazy. And I feel like th- that these feelings might be like that, that kind of guilt, that kind of shame that's not, she's not supposed to have because she did nothing wrong, but she has them anyway because it's a human nature. I feel like that, that might be, you know, a, a really key part of her not wanting to go back, you know, not, not wanting to face him, not wanting to face it, the world, everything. So, yeah. So, and, and I don't know, I, I think that would be a pretty powerful thing. Like, uh, Griff mentioned earlier, what if she was like at the top, being held up at the top? And it's actually something uh, I, I said uh, when we saw the first thing is like, what if she's held up at the top and that eye, like under that eyes, you know, gaze, which never, never blinks, never stops, you know, that unending gaze. That's a yeah. really the worst kind of nightmare you could possibly think of. Hmm. Sorry, I took too much. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was agreeing with everything you're saying. I, I mean, I don't have a compelling argument to say, to say otherwise for the sake of the podcast. Um, but, you know, to me, the other eye, because of the, you know, perfect. I don't know. It, it, it also reminds me of Femto's eye. Is all we'll say. However, you make a very compelling case for why it would be guts. So yeah, it could be. You know, like it could obviously be Femto's eye because he was like that cold, staring, unblinking, dead yeah. eye. But uh, I don't know. It might just be. I don't know. It might just be me. But that eye doesn't feel like 
It doesn't feel cold enough to be Femto's eye. You know, I don't know that's stupid to say, <laughs> but when you look at it with a, like with a spiky mountain thing, it looks, I don't know, it looks more human. It's just because of the clouds. Um, and as the purple is too dilated to be, you know, like that kind of cold thing. So I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, well, it know, could be, it could be Zhao, it could be anything else. We have inadvertently also answered the question why Mayura, you know, drew it the way he has and has it so obscured and even has that weird close up where, you know, on the bottom of the two page spread where it's like, it should be more in focus, but it's somehow less in focus, mm-hmm. you know, with the eye going over it. It's that it's driving us crazy and it's very interesting. You know, and we really want to know what it is. So it's like it's a very good way of building uh, suspense. I'm going, I'm going to add next episode. another layer to it is that maybe it's not Gus or Griffiths. Maybe it's uh, Casca's eye, you know, and she another part of her mind is looking over that uh, landscape and looking at what they're doing, you know. Yeah, that's just not no, no, I'm just bullshitting. But uh, yeah, I, no, mean, no, yeah. I can see that. That's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, because, yeah, when you see that mountain, you kind of get the idea that uh, something is looking at them, you know? What, you know, what? All, there's another part of the series where they has a very, very circular pupils like that. Like for uh, Ubix uh, glasses uh, are also very circular <laughs> in nature. It's turning into a really weird seven-layer dip we're cooking up this Memorial yeah. Day weekend. <laughs> well, you know, to bring it full it's, circle, it kind of just looks like the eclipse ceremony to me. I mean, you know, yeah, it's it's like, the, you know, yeah, yeah, reminds me of the black sun. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's the black sun over Midland right there. You know, so there you go. Some. Someone in the thread mentioned that perhaps Femto would come out of this, basically. That was, Femto I would think be I said that, appear. actually. Did I you mean, really? Oh, man. Well, I nah. mean, there's been, there's been several different versions. Like, as yeah. had Femto, you know, being created from maybe some of the creatures, you know. we were. I mm-hmm. think that was back when we just saw the, the flying ones. But there was also, like, I mentioned him stepping out of the memory, which that, there's not really any precedent for that in, the, in this episode. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think, honestly, I don't think that'd be. And yeah. so, yeah, but what Walter meant is different because you meant him as in still being part of the dream and everything, but somebody said that they expected like the real Femto. Oh, yeah, actual, like him to actually show sense. up. You know? Yeah, or the guy God in Falconia to, to appear, which is, uh, to me, like that's uh, downright ridiculous. I mean, I don't think like, fuck, he's got other, first he's got uh, other things to do, and second, it doesn't, I, I don't know, it doesn't really make sense. He's, he's already, he's, Femto's already going to be at the center of things here. Uh, you know, I mean, if the real version shows up, what do they do? They can't, they can't fight. I don't know, it feels, uh, I don't know, it feels st- stupid to me. I feel me. like just the echo of Femto would be scary enough because it kind of yeah. builds up the hype. Or- or whatever Casca's, you know, representation of him is like one of these creatures, you know, would be, you know, that's going to be formidable enough. I don't, and I don't really think there's, you know, if they could just show up in dreams, you know, whenever they want, you know, <laughs> Guts would, I mean, there's, then there's no point. They really are, they're already overpowered enough, <laughs> like, without them just showing up. So the point is, uh, it's what he did that uh, matters, you know, it's not yeah. just, you know. Him himself, it's uh, the context, what he did, what happened during the eclipse. Again, it's her memories here and we are about, and 
uh, her sanity. So it's not well, about, you know, it's, it's, it's a, about regaining her. It's an inner struggle. You know, this is all Casca, you know, it's she would be the obstacle, you know, that she'd be creating the obstacle. It wouldn't be some external force stopping her from getting better. So that, that's what I was going to say yeah. was the intervention of a God hand trivializes any other conflict they would come across. Yeah, pretty much it's like and why is he keeping her, you know, insane? Yeah, just say no. <laughs> yeah. You know what? None people should um, what people should think about is uh, it's like if uh, Shuriken Farnese went inside God's mind, you know, and uh, they found. Uh, a, a terrain, a landscape that was shaped by the Beast of Darkness. And so they had to fix his mind to destroy that aspect of him. That's the same kind of thing. They're, here's a fighting Casca's trauma and from the eclipse. And showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he'd probably show up, but not not the yeah. real one, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Zod shows up. Uh, never mind. Yeah. In the in the beast dream, Femto would show up as little doggy treats that he's constantly eating. He's just constantly eating Femto shaped doggy treats. <laughs> That's actually all I had for this episode. There's a ton here, but like so much of it, it should be pretty evident to readers. I don't feel like we have to parse a lot of the panels, but I feel like we we did a good job, kind of talking between the lines about you know what was significant about this episode. I don't have a. There's a we haven't talked about the. Uh, like in detail about the critters and the battle yeah. against them, right? And that's um, thing, yeah, yeah uh, that's uh, that's uh, those were pretty cool to me. I mean, it's uh, again like, like we said earlier, it was kind of uh, uh, on the sideline, you know, like just in between uh, panels. But uh, I, I I really liked what we saw of them and how they dealt with it with them. Uh, so yeah, if, I don't know if you guys want to talk about that real quick. Yeah, some of them seemed representational things we should recognize. Some of them did not like. If you look at the the ones that have the the tentacles on their heads, I mean, it's hard to not think Slan because it's so evocative of her hair. Uh, but there are these strange forms otherwise, uh, and the the strange ones where they look like they're walking on long stilted legs. Those reminded me of the apostle that killed Judo. But I mean, none of these are conclusive thoughts. It's just what's evocative of those shapes. If you notice too, what's interesting is like the first ones are just those like bat wing guys, which are very sim- simple looking, you know. Like, and the same thing with the little daddy long legs that are coming out of the ground, and they look kind of fuzzy. And the the interesting thing is, and I don't know if this is intentional, like it's almost like the creatures are getting more interesting and complex as more of her mind gets put together, you know, and then we get these weird tentacled octopus looking creatures, you know, which look much more complicated than those spiders that we saw the daddy. It's almost like children's drawings. And then they get more and more solid and, you know, three dimensional until we see that weird little spider following them like that. Yeah. That really thick I, one. I agree. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because it kind of, it works very well with the dream, uh, aspect of it, which is, uh, so the, you know, uh, batwing guys are like flags, you know, flying, you know, torn flags on the battlefield and then they take on these forms. So it's like the kind of simple nightmare you would have. And then, um, yeah, they get into these, um, daddy long legs, but the fuzzy core is interesting, you know, because, um, you are clearly meant for it to be fuzzy, so it's just the legs, you know, with that kind of fuzzy spider thing. And then, yeah, like you said, it gets more complicated. My my favorites are definitely the the balls, you know, the balls with tentacles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, those are, are pretty gross and uh, scary, so I, I really like them. Oh yeah, and, I mean, um, those are the ones that Farnese is like covering her mouth, like you know, ah! yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, very disgusting. They, they are pretty pretty fucking uh, disgusting. So and yeah, I, I liked how they dealt with them, which is like you see the Batwing guys; they just use a uh, 
the flame wheel and the dog just grabbing them. And, uh, you know, they, they for the, the, the spiders, uh, Shuke, like, throws uh, the small golems, which is, you know, funny. It's like she's throwing seeds on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then they run away while they occupy them. So, you know, I like that they're not necessarily trying to confront them, which is what Guts would do, you know, like, kill every single one of them. And, but uh, they just, you know, they, they just, you know, try to escape them. So it's the same thing goes for the uh, slant-like ones, you know, where they just, you know, like they're down a cliff, but, you know, uh, the girls are not facing them. They're just, you know, uh, avoiding them. So We also see in that same page, we see them actually taking a rest, uh, powered yeah. by the, you know, Four Kings defense barrier there. Yeah, yeah I like the dog, that. Uh, even the dog is like sleeping curled up there. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that it's a miniature version, you know. It's it's really like again, it's really fitting for a dream. <laughs> it's like she just puts a small protective dome around them. It's uh, very, very cute. And uh yeah. simi- similarly I kinda liked how she just washed up the tentacle things with uh, the Lady of the Death, you know. She's yeah. like, you know, that's uh, pretty nice. Yeah, uh, I think shit, shit's going to hit the fan pretty quickly in the next episode. And then the, the question is, how has it progressed from there? Uh, how quickly the resolution will present itself? But um, I don't know. I feel like we're two or, th- two or three away from the the end of the sequence. <clears throat> and then uh, who knows after that? All bets are off. Yeah, I mean, he can really stretch it, you know, as long as he needs, you know, for if he wants to build the suspense as they approach, if he wants them to sort of, I mean, they could be arriving at that structure at the beginning of the next episode, or they could still be sort of trying to figure out what it is. And uh, mm. I don't know. It just depends. I get the feeling they'll arrive at the structure uh, early on in the next episode, and then they'll deal with it. And they might, like, I don't, I don't think they're going to face a really big thing right away. Yeah. I think there'll be another episode in which they'll progress through some uh, trials and then they'll come across it. So, yeah, I think it's going to take uh, still a little so while. At yeah. least like three more? Yeah, I'd say three more, yeah. And it could be like, again, of course, it could be more, it could be less, but yeah, three uh, sounds sounds pretty good. And depending on whole, how much there is to entangle there, it could take, you know, who knows, five maybe? And as I said, you know, when they get back, when they return to the real world, like honestly, like, all bets are off as far as like the direct direction from there. There's a, so many ways it could take. Very exciting to even think about yeah. the first few steps and even the long term. Yeah. What's interesting is, you know, like for we, we've not always known what would happen in Berserk, but, you know, I've always personally got a good feel of the direction the story was taking, but... I mean, right now, all bets are off. You know, you don't know. She wakes up. What's going to happen? We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen after that or after that. I mean, eventually, they're going to head for Falcon. Yeah, sure. But, like, who knows? You know, everything is unknown. So it's pretty pretty exciting, you know? Manga history unfolding before our eyes, gentlemen. Yep. <laughs> That's it for the show, guys. We'll be back in a month to talk about 351. And see you then. Bye. Bye.